Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Cyclone Alert Cyclone Scoop podcast. Michael Swain here, the Iowa State beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Really excited about the podcast we have coming your way today. We caught up with Chris Anderson of our West Virginia 24-7 Sports website. Had a really good 20-minute conversation with him about all things West Virginia. For my money, they've got a real fascinating team um, that's kind of got a blend of, of youth and experience, but they definitely haven't been the most consistent team this year, and we'll, and we'll get into that with Chris here in just a second. Uh, but real quick, just want to hit on kind of Iowa State heading into this game. This is kind of the combination for Iowa State of kind of a, a letdown spot and a look-ahead spot. Obviously, you look back, and Iowa State has the really big, tight, physical win over Oklahoma State. That was the most physical game Iowa State has played this season, just watching two really good teams going at it. And I think that you look at this game now where you've got the long road trip. You can also get caught kind of looking ahead here for that Texas game next weekend where Texas comes up to Ames. If they take care of business on Saturday, I think there's a chance they could be a, a ranked team as well. And then you've got a ranked matchup there um, between two teams that are really pushing to make that Big 12 title game. So I think for Iowa State, this is a real big game. And something I'll be watching because I think it has a real big impact on the final half of the season here is what's up with Mike Rose um, and how he looks and how much he's able to play because against Oklahoma state looked like he asked to come out of the game at a few points. The ones I believe in the first half. And then on the second to last play of the game, he, uh, he had to come out of the game as well. Matt Campbell didn't specify specific injury location. Um, it looks like something that's an upper body injury, but uh, he, Matt Campbell specifically said it's something that has to do with quote nerve stuff. Um, so that'll be something to watch how much Mike Rose is able to play, played the fewest snaps this season, uh, against Oklahoma state. If you're not counting the UNLV game, uh, because Iowa state did rotate a lot in that matchup with UNLV. So that'll be something to monitor Mike Rose's health over the back half of the season, these final few weeks, because he is a crucial piece for Iowa state on defense. And even though there is some depth there at a linebacker with Eric Horn, who's played a good amount for Iowa state, you're still losing the big 12 defensive player of the year. So something to monitor over, you know, Saturday's game and then kind of looking ahead. But with that said, let's get into this interview with uh, Chris Anderson. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we are now joined by Chris Anderson of our West Virginia 24-7 Sports website. Chris, how has the start of your week been so far? Uh, not bad. Actually, a little interesting. You know, we I think we're on the similar schedule as you guys where uh, you know, Monday is what used to be the Big 12 call. I guess we're only doing that once every six to eight weeks now or whatever it is. Uh, and Tuesday is the big day where you talk with the head coach, assistant coaches. And um, I guess we'll jump right into it. It got a little weird because 
West Virginia went into the bye week after uh, you know struggling on offense for the through the first few weeks of the season. Came out of the bye week, offense seemed a little different, a little more efficient, and everybody wanted to ask what the changes were if there was a change in play caller, and Neil Brown made that conversation about as awkward as possible. Uh, a, a lot of stammering, a lot of stuttering around, not sure how to answer it. You know, everybody's a co-coordinator. Nobody's a co-coordinator, all that kind of stuff. So it was a little little interesting on Tuesday here, right? You know, we're recording this Wednesday, but a little little strange yesterday. Interesting. So that leads me into my first question I wanted to ask, but what's kind of the mood been like in Morgantown? Because you look at, at least from an outside perspective, I looked at the early part of the season for West Virginia and you beat Virginia Tech, start two and one. I thought things were pretty good. And then Big 12 play starts. It's not great. So what's kind of the mood been like there? Uh, a little uneasy because even in those wins, it was a lot of the same, a lot of the same mistakes with the same players running the same scheme in the wins and the losses this year as, as it was last year and the year before. You know, people are looking for progress. They're looking for change. They're looking for improvement. And you weren't seeing much. You weren't seeing much improvement. It just seemed like the same team kind of running it back again in a lot of close games. And, and I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this in our, our written Q&A, but West Virginia at one point before that Baylor game, that was obviously a blowout, but they were, what, a couple plays away from being 5-0, and and they were a couple plays away from being 1-4. I mean, that that Long Island game was is a joke, but they, they, they were pretty close to being one way or the other, and I think that was what was most frustrating for fans through these first few weeks. Definitely, and so going through the schedule here, for fans that don't have it in front of them, obviously a loss to Maryland to start the season, a six point loss there, beat Virginia Tech by six points, lose at Oklahoma by three points in that nail biter uh, in Norman, then lose to Texas Tech by three points, blown out by Baylor, and then get a win against Texas Christian. I'm curious in terms of the offense as a whole, because man, from the outside, like going into the year, I thought at least, you know, Letty Brown would kind of had build off last season where he was, I think the second leading rusher in the conference, you know, behind Brees Hall, what's led to kind of the downturn, I think in the run game. Cause I look at some of the overall numbers, right. And, you know, you run for 48 yards against Maryland, you run for 68 against Oklahoma, 94 Texas tech, and then you get 90 against Baylor before an explosion against Texas Christian. But what's kind of been the, the vibe of the run game so far, what has maybe contributed to them being, have a slower start, I guess, to the season. Well, this is this goes along with what I was talking about with the, you know, the same thing because um, it's been the same thing. I know last year you look at Letty Brown and he was great. Like individually, he was great. He got over a thousand yards through ten games, but boy, did he have to work to get there. Um, as going through, I'm trying to remember the advanced stats off my head, but it was something like he was running into a defender within a yard and a half of the line of scrimmage on average last year across the whole line. So a lot of that yardage was after contact or making a guy miss. And I guess you could say you've seen progress because in Neil Brown's first year, West Virginia ranked 129th out of 130 teams in yards per rush. In 2020, it was up to 94th. Uh, Again, not great. This year, it's 91st. So (laughs) – I don't even want to say that that it's getting better. I guess it technically has, but it's been a struggle. And a lot of that falls on that offensive line. They've had a really hard time, uh, not only clearing lanes for the run game, but protecting Jared Dagey. He's been one of the most pressed, uh, pressured quarterbacks in the entire 12. 
And I mean, Letty hasn't been great. This has been his worst year as far as missed tackles forced and yards after contact. So it's not all in the offensive line, but that's the biggest part of it. Interesting. And so I wonder then from Letty Brown's everyone through that perspective, is it one of those things where you feel like he's almost gotten maybe worn down from you mentioned in years past, like having to, as soon as he gets the ball, basically having to evade defenders. Is it one of those things where he's worn down? Do you feel like, is it just specifically bad scheme and bad offensive line play? What kind of walking through maybe what has contributed to that? Well, I think some of it is, I mean, I think he is getting worn down. He hasn't said it. The coaches though have kind of made it, uh, put an emphasis on, Hey, got to find somebody who can get some backup reps because the problem they've run into is that one, their, their original plan for backup running back, Tony Mathis, was hurt for the first four, few weeks of the season. And then the next option was a true freshman. And yeah, true freshmen can run, but a lot of times they struggle with the scheme. A lot of times they struggle with pass blocking and they were terrible with pass blocking. So Letty Brown was never really able to rest and he would have to stay in for extra snaps and stay in for those snaps where you just stand there and take a hit while you're trying to pass block. So he's just getting beat up left and right, left and right, with no rest in sight. So I think that's part of it. Uh, and maybe that changes moving forward because Tony Mathis did return this past week and, and gave him some rest. But um, it, it, other than that, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, he's expanded his game in, in the receiving game. Uh, he's done a little bit more there, and, and he's a threat there. But he just doesn't get a lot of room to run outside of the interior, you know, outside of the guards. I believe he's running into the numbers were at least heading into the TCU game. Uh, he was running into a defender within 0.2 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like he's, if there's just no running room to the outside. Oh my gosh, that is stark. And I think about Iowa State's defensive line there, where you know they have probably one of the best defensive line units I think that they've had under Matt Campbell, and obviously they've been one of the best run defense teams in the country. So that's an that would be an interesting matchup to watch. I think then if you think about the offensive line not being great. And then you've got some big bodies that Iowa State does have, you know, any Rosrique, you know, Zach Peterson, of course, Will McDonald as well. I want to transition to something else I found that was interesting when I was doing some research on West Virginia uh, on Monday night. What's the deal with the two quarterback system? Because I found it very interesting that, you know, you've got Daggy, who is kind of the incumbent starter, but then you've got kind of the, the young recruit, and uh, Garrett Green, who's now come in and played a good amount. I think he plays like 20% of the snaps is what I calculated. But what's kind of the situation there with the two quarterbacks? Well, they're just drastically different types of players. And, and Diggy is the guy who is a great quarterback when he is standing in the pocket and not pressured. Uh, he's great at intermediate and short throws. Uh, but he struggles when he gets pressed. He struggles when he has to run. He struggles when he has to throw a heat. Meanwhile, Garrett Green is a run-first type of quarterback, and he has a very strong arm that can throw the ball deep downfield. So they have drastically different skill sets. And they put in Green. I think, you know, he, he got in the, the LIU game, the Long Island game, might have distorted the, the total snap numbers because he's playing anywhere from one to three drives per game maybe, um, so 10, 15 snaps per game. And then the LIU game, I think he played at least half. So he comes in, typically the third drive, and the offense definitely looks different because he is a run-first type of guy. <clears throat> he uh, got, what, a 70-yard run, 67-yard run against TCU. Uh, he has more yard, 
more than twice as many yards as all the other backup running backs combined. So he brings a different element. And when you have the offensive line issues that I was talking about, you need that mobile quarterback. So at times there have been a lot of calls for Garrett Green to be the quarterback because the belief, and and I'm one of the people who believe this, he can do a lot of the things that Deggy can do. Maybe not all of them, maybe not just quite as well. He can do most of them. And he provides a much different aspect of the game that fits in with what they need right now. And what have the coordinators said about it? Like, I guess what maybe is their thought process about it? Like, why haven't they gone with Green full-time then if he is someone that the offense looks different? Um, well, what's kind of holding them back from, I guess, embracing that? Well, had Neil Brown just put it out plainly that Green essentially calls his own number too much for his, like, uh, you, you know, drops back and or, or does the read option and instead of handing it off or instead of trying to throw the ball – he calls his own number for a scramble and that that really seems to irk Brown. Cause I think before the season, his, his reasoning for not playing green was green turned it over too much in practice. And then the response was, well, Deggy turns it over in the game because he had a couple really bad interceptions, a couple bad fumbles. And that was something he's had an issue with before. And now it's going to turn to, all right, green doesn't turn it over, but he doesn't follow the offense. He doesn't follow the play kind of calls his own number, does his own thing some of the times that works out well, some of the times it doesn't, but that's been the biggest reason why he hasn't seen his role expand. Hmm, Interesting. Let's transition to defense because I feel like just looking at purely kind of the raw numbers, they look, that's probably the strength of the team. Um, And from a big picture sense, then what is kind of, when you look at the defense as a whole, what's kind of their biggest strength, where do they excel on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, It's definitely defensive line. Uh, They're, talented and deep there i think you got all three starters um maybe all three of them are in the top 10 or 12 in the big 12 in sacks right now um they they're great in run defense i think they're they're second to iowa state but second to iowa state i think is still top 12 in the country top 15 in the country um and, and those guys really get after it dante stills was a all-american in high school <clears throat> who's really kind of flourishing right now uh, Akeem Mesador was a freshman All-American last year, and he's taken on a bigger role this year and looked just as good. And Taj Austin, he, he was actually leading the team in sacks there for a while. He's kind of faded the last couple games um, and seen fewer snaps. But they, they rolled around through some different guys there and gotten production. I think that's that's definitely their strong suit. And run defense has been the focus of defensive coordinator Jordan Leslie's uh, kind of philosophy, and, and it it centers around those guys. Interesting. So I, I think about that maybe from an Iowa State perspective where you look last weekend and Oklahoma State really excels at run defense and they stacked the box against Bruce Hall and they made Brock Purdy kind of beat him and said, all right, you know, Purdy, can you make good throws over the course of the game? And he was able to do it last week. But I look kind of here at the the completion numbers for West Virginia and over the course of the season, they're allowing a 65% completion rate. Um, I don't know where that stacks up in the Big 12. I don't have that in front of me. But in terms of like the defensive backs and kind of the secondary, what, what is that side of the ball or that position <clears throat> we're looking at so far this season? Uh, a mixed bag, honestly. Uh, it, it, for the two main safety spots, the deep, deeper safeties, they had two super seniors coming back, you know, six-year senior guys in Alonzo Adai, who was, I believe, second team all Big 12 last year, and Sean Mahone, who was one of the team's top tacklers last season. And Mahone has really struggled in coverage this season. Uh, a lot of miscommunications. 
which is not something you would expect uh, from a sixth-year senior. Adai has been solid. Uh, they've had to make some changes at that third safety spot that plays more like it's called a spear, plays a little more up in the box usually or a slot corner. Uh, Scotty Young was a multi-year starter at Arizona. Haven't seen him the last couple of weeks. Instead, there's been Jackie Matthews, who's a converted corner. Um, and he's, but he's played very well. Uh, he's kind of been a jack of all trades guy. He's played very well. The real issue had been at, at cornerback where they were to begin the year starting a redshirt freshman, Darren Porter, who had not really played outside of a couple brief appearances last year. And Nick Troy Fortune, who was the starter last year, but was kind of the second guy. Like He wasn't the main guy. He wasn't tasked with taking on the opposing team's best cornerback. And through the first few games this year, he, he kind of struggled. Uh, Porter was up and down, made some big plays, gave up some big plays. Actually, I think, you know, the coach just kind of told him, hey, that's what we want. We want you to try to make plays. And if you missed every once in a while, that's okay. Um, the big wild card here is – Charles Woods, um, he was a guy I picked in the preseason as the standout newcomer for this team because he was an FCS All-American at Illinois State, transferred in this summer. Took him a, a little bit to kind of get his footing because he didn't get here till the summer, couldn't really do much during the summer, finally got going in fall camp. And they bounced him back and forth between that spear position and corner, not sure where he was going to start. He ended up getting, I think, 50-some snaps last game finished with five tackles, an interception, forced fumble, and, and was really great in coverage, graded out, according to PFF, as the best defender on the team in that win over TCU. And I think he may end up starting because Nick Troy Fortune, the other cornerback, uh, went down with an ankle injury or lower leg injury, and they're not sure if he's going to be able to play. Mm, interesting. I'm, I'm curious about what that matchup then looks like kind of with you think about Iowa State, and it's a lot of the bigger style of receiver. You know, Xavier Hutchinson's 6'3", 215. Charlie Kohler's a big tight end. Chase Allen's a big tight end. Sean Shaw is a big wide receiver who's played a lot more for Iowa State lately. What's well, kind of – in terms of, like, the size profile of those defensive backs, I, I didn't think to look at the roster ahead of time, but, like, what are they looking like? Are they more of the the 5'10", you know, 190 type of cornerbacks? Are these more a bigger style of defensive backs? Yeah, I think Charles Wood, Charles Woods is the biggest, uh, at least, cornerback on the team, and he's 5'11". I think Jackie Matthews is 5'10". Nick Fortune's 5'10", 5'11". Uh, Porter's 5'9", 5'10". So, yeah, that, that, that is something of note and something that, that we've seen kind of, I want to say, be an issue, but every once in a while you see it happen uh, with, uh, was it, uh, TCU wide receiver Quinton Johnson, I think, he's, and he's 6'4", 200, and he was able to, kind of get up and make a couple of plays on West Virginia and Baylor had a couple of those guys. Texas Tech has a couple of those guys. So it's, it's been something I wouldn't say, you know, alarming, but it is of note every time that West Virginia kind of steps on the field. Definitely. Interesting. I want to circle back to offense. I've got a couple more questions here. We can let you go. Um, in terms of the Texas, you know, TCU game, what changed offensively? Cause you look kind of the yards per play number and you're up at seven yards per play and that's kind of one of the best number they've had so far this season and closest to the Texas Tech game which was 6.8 what did the offense look like and when it was kind of humming there against TCU on Saturday it's well I guess the better question is is that more that TCU is just terrible or yeah. is West Virginia figure something out I think that's, <laughs> that's what West Virginia is trying to figure out and that's what I don't know because yeah. 
I've never heard a coaching staff go in before a game say, we know this team is terrible at X and we're going to try to beat it. And that's basically what West Virginia said. They went in and said, TCU cannot stop the run. So we need to run the ball. We need to figure out how to do that. And it was, you just don't hear coaches say that very often. And that's what he was saying. That's, that's how West Virginia approached the game. TCU can't stop the run. We need to run the ball. And they did. Uh, 229 rushing yards. That was the most rushing yards for a West Virginia team against an FBS opponent since Neil Brown arrived here. Uh, and that's, I mean, 229 is good, but it's not some crazy wild number. But that, I guess that just kind of shows where the running game has been before that. Mm. And last question here. Um, when we get to kind of the first quarter, you know, first 20 minutes of the game on Saturday, I guess what will you be looking for for if this – you know, X, Y, Z happens, West Virginia has a really good chance to win the game. What are some of the things you'll be looking for early on? Uh, I think offensively, got to get that first drive in. Uh, West Virginia has been, so far this year, I believe six out of the seven games have scored on their first position. They have typically done a decent to very good job with scripted plays. Uh, Usually that first drive, maybe two of the game and the first drive of the second half. And so, with West Virginia struggles and how good Iowa State is on defense, you know, seven points could mean a lot. That could, that could be half of, half of the points that West Virginia scores for the day. It could be a third of the winning of the total for the winning team. So I think it's important that West Virginia gets that first drive on offense under their belt. On defense, I think, you know, running game, got is so good. You got to be ready for that. I think – and statistically, it tells me that West Virginia will be ready for that. They are a good run defense. I'm a little more concerned about the um, getting pressure on the quarterback in, the, in pass rushing situations. I want them Brock Purdy uncomfortable mm-hmm. to see if they can get to the quarterback without having to use extra blitzers. Because as I noted, that that secondary has been a little suspect for West Virginia. Their, their pass defense ranks as one of the worst in the country, while their run defense is one of the best. So I think if West Virginia can show that they can get to the quarterback with four, that'd be a great sign for the rest of the game. If they if they can't on those first couple drives and they're going to have to start turning to blitzers and bringing five or six later in the game, that's a problem because Brock Purdy's too good to be, you know, leaving one-on-one coverage out in the secondary. For sure. Awesome. Great stuff, Chris. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I guess where can Iowa State fans find all your stuff leading up to the game Saturday? Uh, you can find us over at earsports.com. That's E-E-R sports.com. And uh, on Twitter at CM Anderson 247. Love it. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. A huge thank you again to Chris for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation. And if you like what you heard on today's podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can also follow myself on Twitter at mswain247. And if you want a specific Iowa State Twitter account that tweets out Iowa State content from 24-7 Sports, go ahead and follow Cyclone Alert 247 as well. With that said, we will probably have a podcast for you after Saturday's game against West Virginia. Um, But if not, we'll definitely circle back here next week ahead of the Texas game. So we'll talk soon. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good. 
for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.